We've all gone to websites only to be presented with a pop-up asking if we'll accept the cookies. Well, did you know that by accepting those cookies, you're allowing that website to collect data on you? These websites will then sell your information to data brokers, who will then create a digital profile of you, which can be used by banks, advertisers, and scammers against you. Well, thanks to Incogni, you no longer need to worry about your data being stolen and sold. Incogni is a tool that will remove your data from these companies for you. All you need to do is sign up, allow Incogni to work for you, and they will contact data brokers on your behalf and guarantee that your digital ID is removed from the internet. Use the link in the description and episode notes and get Incogni today for $6.49 per month on a year plan and protect your data and digital ID. Did you know that whenever you use a website, you give them permission to track what you do online? If you keep the tab open, they can see what you do and create a digital footprint of you. Well, with Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you never have to worry about downloading any risky files, but all of your web browsing will be protected, guaranteeing that you can search freely without leaving any digital footprint, and guaranteeing that you can't be tracked online. If you feel like your online protection should be better, Use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. This show is brought to you by my store where you can purchase all my audiobooks for five euros and you can also purchase now some clothes with uh, wonderful designs by Valentina Angel Rios uh, who's designed all the comics for this channel and shall design all the comics. And you will find designs from her uh, of the comics on all of the clothing, and we share the revenue from this 50-50 because supporting artists is the most wonderful thing in the world. And she deserves it because she's not only a fantastic artist, uh, but she's also a really lovely person. Let's get started. Trigger warning. This book was written in the 1950s and contains views and words that were used in that time period. I do not agree with these words and views and would never use them in my daily life. I shall be ducking the audio to bleep any offensive language so that this book can be uploaded to its appropriate platforms, but apart from that, the book will stay as it was intended to be read. If you find this sort of language disturbing or triggering, then please listen to another audiobook. Thank you for your understanding, Isaac. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kessie Part 2 4 Up ahead of me in the lunch line, I see a tray sling in the air, a green plastic cloud raining milk, peas, and vegetable soup. Seffel's jittering is out of the line on one foot, with his arms both up in the air, falls backwards with a stiff arch, and the whites of his eyes come by me, upside down. His head hits the tile with a crack like rocks underwater, and he holds the arch like a twitching, jerking bridge. Fredrickson and Scanlon make a jump to help, but the big black boy shoves them back and grabs a flat stick out of his back pocket. Got tape wrapped around it and covered with brown stains. He pries Seffel's mouth open and shoves the stick between his teeth, and hear the stick splinter with Seffel's bite. I can taste the silvers. Seffel's jerks slow down and get more powerful, working and building up to a big, stiff kick that lifts him to the bridge, then falling, lifting and falling, slower and slower, till the big nurse comes in and stands over him, and he melts limp over the floor in a grey puddle. She folds her hands in front of her, my whole candle, and looks down at what's left of him, oozing out of the cuffs of his pants and shirt. 
Mr. Seffold, she says to the black boy. That's a rider. The black boy's jerking to get his stick back. Mr. Seffel. And Mr. Seffel has been asserting that he needs no more medication. She nods her head, steps back a step, out of the way of him, spreading towards her with her white shoes. She raises her head and looks around at the circle of acutes that have come up to see. She nods again and repeats, Needs no more medication. Her face is smiling, pitying, patient, and disgusted all at once. A trained expression. Murphy's never seen such a thing. What's he got wrong with him? He asks. She keeps her eye on the puddle, not turning to McMurphy. Mr. Seffold is an epileptic, Mr. McMurphy. This means he may be subject to seizures, like this, at any time if he doesn't follow medical advice. He knows better. We told him this would happen if he didn't take his medication. Still, he insisted on acting foolish. Fredrickson comes out of the line, with his big eyebrows bristling. He's a sinewy, bloodless guy, with blonde hair and stringy, blonde eyebrows, and a long jaw. And he acts tough every so often, the way Cheswick used to try and do. Roar and rant and cuss out one of the nurses. Say he's gonna leave this stinking place. They always let him yell and shake his fist till he quiets down. Then ask him, if you are through, Mr. Fredrickson, we'll go start typing the release. Then make a book in the nurse's station, how long till he's tapping at the glass with a guilty look and asking to apologize. And how about just forgetting those hot-headed things he said. Just pigeonhole those old forms for a day or so, okay? He steps up to the nurse, shaking his fist at her. Oh, is that it? Is that it, huh? You gonna crucify old Seif just as if he was doing it to spite you or something? She lays a comforting hand on his arm, and his fist unrolls. It's okay, Bruce. Your friend will be all right. Apparently, he hasn't been swallowing his Denantin. I simply don't know what he is doing with it. She knows as well as anybody. Seffold holds the capsule in his mouth and gives him the Fredrickson later. Seffold doesn't like to take them because of what he calls disastrous side effects. And Fredrickson likes a double dose because he's scared to death of having a fit. The nurse knows this. You can tell by her voice. But to look at her there, so sympathetic and kind, to think she was ignorant of anything at all between Fredrickson and Seffold. Yeah, says Fredrickson, but he can't work his attack up again. Yeah, well, you don't need to act like it was as simple as just take the stuff or don't take it. You know Seif worries about what he's going to look like and how women think he's ugly and all that. And you know how he thinks the Delinton... I know, she says, and touches his arm again. He also blames his falling hair on the drug. Poor old fellow. He not that old. I know, Bruce. Why do you get so upset? I've never understood what went on between you and your friend that made you get so defensive. Well, heck, anyway, he says, and jams his fist into his pocket. The nurse bends over and brushes the little place clean on the floor, and puts her knee on it, and starts kneading Seffold back to some shape. She tells the black boy to stay with the poor old fellow, and she'll go send a gurney down for him, wheel him into the dorm, and let him sleep the rest of the day. When she stands, she gives Fredrickson a pat on the arm, and he grumbles, Yeah, I have to take Delanton too, you know. 
That's why I know what Seif has to face. I mean, that's why I... Well, heck, I understand, Bruce, what both of you must go through. But don't you think anything is better than that? Fredrickson looks where she points. Savold is pulled back, halfway normal, swelling up and down with big, wet, rattling breaths. There's a punk knot rising on the side of his head where he landed, and a red foam around the black boy's stick where it goes into his mouth, and his eyes are beginning to roll back into the whites. His hands are nailed out to each side with the palms up and the fingers jerking open and shut, just the way I've watched men jerk at the shock shop strapped to the cross table, smoke curling up out of the palms from the current. Seffold and Fredrickson never been to the shock shop. They're manufactured to generate their own voltage, stored in their spines, and can be turned on, remote from the steel door in the nurse's station if they get out of line. Be writing the best part of the dirty joke, and stiffen like the jolt hits square in the small of the back. Saves the trouble of taking them over to that room. The nurse gives Fredrickson's arm a little shake, like he'd gone to sleep, and repeats, Even if you take into your consideration the harmful effects of the medicine, don't you think it's better than that? As he stares down at the floor, Fredrickson's blonde eyebrows are raised like he's seeing for the first time how he looks at least once a month. The nurse smiles and pats his arm and heads for the door, glares at the acutes to shame them for gathering around, watching such a thing. When she's gone, Fredrickson shivers and tries to smile. Okay. I don't know what I got so mad at the old girl about. I mean... She didn't do anything to give me a reason to blow up like that, did she? It isn't that he wants an answer. It's more sort of realizing that he can't put his finger on a reason. He shivers again and starts to slip back away from the group. McMurphy comes up and asks him in a low voice what it is they take. The lantern, McMurphy. An anti-convulsant, if you must know. Don't it work or something? Yeah, I guess it works all right. If you take it. Then what's the sweat about taking it or not? Look, if you must know, here's the dirty sweat about taking it. Fredrickson reaches up and grabs his lower lip between his thumb and finger. Pulls it down to show gums, ragged and pink and bloodless, round long, shiny teeth. Your gungs, he says, hanging onto the lips. Delantin gets your gungs right. And a seizure gets you grit your teeth, and you... There's a noise on the floor. They look to where Seffel is moaning and wheezing, just as the black boy draws out two teeth with his taped stick. Scanlan takes his tray and walks away from the bunch, saying, Hell of a life. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Puts a man in one confounded bind, I'd say. McMurphy says, Yeah, I see what you mean. Looking down into Seffold's gathering face, his face has commenced to take on that same haggard, puzzled look of pressure that the face on the floor has. Whatever it was that went haywire in the mechanism, they've just about got it fixed again. The clean, calculated arcade movement is coming back. 6.30, out of bed. 7, into the mess hall. 8, the puzzle come out for the chronics and the cards for the acutes. 
In the nurse's station, I can see the white hands of the big nurse float over the controls. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there's more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review. It is the easiest way to get this in front of as many people as possible, and reading them really makes my day. Once again, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.